Welcome to the Whitefields Community Church Podcast. For more information about our church, including location and service times, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. If you are blessed by this message, please consider sharing it with others and leaving a rating or review on your favorite podcast app. morning, everyone. How are you all doing? Hope you're well. Happy Resurrection Sunday. Let's do something together, okay? And when I say Jesus is risen, you say he's risen indeed. You ready? Jesus is risen. Let's do it again. That was fun. Jesus is risen. Amen. Well, today we're celebrating the fact that Jesus Christ, having been crucified and died, was buried in a grave, but on the third day he rose again. And because he is alive, we know that we too can be raised to new life through him. In our time together this morning, we're going to be taking a look at what Jesus' resurrection means for you and me and why it's something worth celebrating. So would you please bow your heads with me and let's pray as we begin. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the resurrected, risen Lord. So we praise you this morning. We give you all the glory because you deserve it. And Lord, we thank you that you have risen. And Lord, help us to understand as we study today what it means for us, what it means for our lives, and how it changes everything. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The Apostle Peter wrote these words to Christians who were living in the first century. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The message of Easter is a message of hope. And here's why. Because Jesus' resurrection means that you can have redemption from your past. It means that you can have hope for the future. And it means that you can have purpose for today. We're going to look at each of those ideas now as we study this passage we just read. And I'd like to break that sentence down for you and walk through each of these parts of it as we get into our study today. So let's do the first part of that. Jesus' resurrection. Jesus' resurrection. Well, in the Gospel of Mark, we read this account of what happened on the very first Easter Sunday. It says this in Mark chapter 16, starting in verse 1. When the Sabbath was passed... Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought, bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. Three days prior to the events we read about here in Mark 16, Jesus had been beaten, he had been crucified, he had been killed. To ensure that he was really dead, they stabbed him in the heart with a spear. And then Jesus' body was placed in a tomb, and that tomb was sealed with a large stone. They set Roman soldiers out in front of the tomb to guard it, to ensure that no one would tamper with the body. These women, as they went to the tomb that day, these women had been eyewitnesses to those events. They had seen those things happen with their own eyes. When Jesus was arrested, all of his disciples, except for one, the apostle John, All the disciples, except for John, they fled. They ran for their lives out of fear that they would be next to be arrested and put on trial and perhaps even killed. And so as they fled for their lives, 
The women were the ones who stayed, and the Apostle John. So the women and the Apostle John, they watched with their own eyes. They watched as Jesus was crucified. They watched as Jesus' lifeless body was placed into the tomb. They watched as the stone was put in place. And the reason they were coming to the tomb this day, this morning, three days later, was because in those days when someone died, in order to honor them by giving them a proper burial, what they would do is they would cover their body with spices, aloes, and ointments, which would help the body, first of all, to decompose, but it also served to kind of keep away bugs and rodents and things that would defile the body. So it was considered doing this preparation of the body. It was considered really a humane and honoring thing to do for someone. And so on the day when Jesus had been crucified, there hadn't been time to do this. If you read the story, what you'll see is that Jesus had died in the afternoon. As the sun was setting, they were trying to hurry to get his body into the tomb because in the Jewish culture, the Sabbath day on which no work is allowed to be done, it begins at sundown. So they were trying to make sure they could get all of these things done before the sun went down and the Sabbath began. So there was no time to prepare the body on that day. So these women are coming now on the third day at the first possible opportunity to perform this service because for these women, Jesus was their teacher, their leader, and their friend. His death was a tremendous loss for them and they wanted to honor him by performing this service and giving him a proper burial. It says in verse 3, when they were saying to each other on the way, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? You see, the stone which blocked the entrance to Jesus' tomb, it would have been a large round stone. There are still tombs like this in Israel today that you can go and see. They, they would, what they would do is they would hewn, you know, it would be hewn into the rock. They would carve out a tomb into the side of a mountain, and then they would block it with a large stone, which would be set into a channel, and they would roll it into place. These stones are really big. In order to move this stone, it would, re it would require several strong men. For example, these three ladies, they knew that even the three of them together pushing with all their might, they would not be able to move the stone. So they're just kind of showing up, hoping that the, the soldiers who are guarding the tomb will be kind to them and allow them entrance to be able to treat Jesus' body. They're hoping that maybe there will be somebody in the vicinity who is able to help them move the stone. But as they came near the tomb, it says in verse 4, looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and they were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified, but he has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. And then he said, but go, tell his disciples and Peter, that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. And they went out from the tomb. They went and fled from the tomb. Trembling and astonishment had seized them. See, what happened that day was not something that any of these women were expecting would happen. They had seen Jesus die. They watched his lifeless body be placed into the grave. And yet here they were. The stone was rolled away. The guards had fled. The grave was empty. And did you catch what this messenger, who was likely an angel, what this messenger said to these women? He said, go tell the disciples and Peter that Jesus has risen and he wants to see them again. What an interesting thing to say. Why would you say the disciples and Peter? 
Well, that brings us to the next part of our sentence. Remember our sentence? Jesus' resurrection, what does it mean for us? Well, first of all, it means that you can have redemption from your past. Do you remember what Peter said when he explained in this letter that he wrote what Jesus' resurrection means for us, what it's done for us? Let's read it again. 1 Peter chapter, chapter 1, verse 3. According to his great mercy, God has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He says this is by his great mercy. See, mercy is when someone doesn't give you the punishment that you deserve for the things that you've done. When a police officer pulls you over and they don't give you a ticket, but they just give you a warning and they let you go, that's mercy. Right? Mercy is when someone who has the power to punish you or harm you chooses instead to show you forgiveness and compassion. When Peter thought about Jesus' resurrection, the first thing that came to mind was God's mercy. God's mercy. Remember what the angel said to the women at the tomb? Go, tell the disciples and Peter that Jesus has risen from the dead and he wants to see them. First of all, it's amazing that Jesus wanted to see any of his disciples again because all of them, except for John, had run away and abandoned Jesus in his darkest hour. But Peter, Peter had done something far worse than any of the other disciples. The other disciples had run away to save their own necks, but Peter had denied Jesus not just once, but three times. And to make it even worse, not long before that happened, Peter had confidently stood before Jesus and the other disciples, and he had said, even if everyone else falls away, if everyone else turns away and abandons you, Jesus, I never will. He was like, look, Jesus, I could totally picture these other losers turning their backs on you, but not me. I'm different. I actually love you. And they're like, what the heck, man? We're right here. We can hear you. And Peter was like, sorry, but not really, because it's not my fault that you don't love Jesus as much as I do. That's on you. If that wasn't bad enough, right? During Jesus' darkest hour, Peter not only ran away, but he turned his back on Jesus and denied him, not once, but three times. And if that wasn't bad enough, even that, Peter could still remember something that Jesus had said. Jesus had said that if anyone acknowledges their allegiance to him, he will acknowledge that person before his Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, Jesus said, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. And that's exactly what Peter did. He denied Jesus, his friend, his Savior. He denied him when he had the opportunity to acknowledge him. You see, you can imagine how terrible Peter must have felt. He must have felt ashamed. He must have been embarrassed. And he must have felt incredibly guilty. He must have felt that he was really the lowest of the low, an incredible hypocrite and a sinner because he had done this thing which apparently he believed was an unforgivable sin. So just imagine when Peter heard that the tomb was empty, that Jesus had resurrected, what, what did he feel? You can imagine his first feeling. He would have been immediately overjoyed and elated, right? His friend, his teacher, his savior was not dead. He was alive. But then the very next feeling would have come upon him like a wave. And that would have been a sense of dread. A sense of dread because Peter must have been thinking, you know, oh no, if Jesus is alive, that means I'm going to have to face him after what I've done. And how can I possibly face him after the thing that I did? Jesus will probably be upset, he might have thought. Maybe he'll even be angry or even worse. Maybe he'll never want to ever even see me again. Not after what I've done. 
So when the messenger said that Jesus wanted to see the disciples and Peter, it was both practical and profound. It was practical because if Jesus had just said, tell my disciples that I want to see them, Peter would have been left wondering, well, does that mean them or me? Like, am I in or am I out? And maybe he would have just concluded, you know what, maybe it's better if just you guys go. Don't worry about me. I'll just hang back. Surely Jesus wanted to see them, but not him. So it was practical in that it told Peter that he was invited, but it was also profound. And it was profound because think about what this means. It means that even in spite of what Peter had done, his sin, his hypocrisy, his failure, Jesus still wanted him. Jesus still wanted to see him. Jesus wasn't done with him. He wasn't through with him. Jesus still had plans and a future for Peter. What incredible mercy. What amazing grace. And what's even more incredible is that after this, you know what happens? Peter goes on to become the premier leader in the early Christian church, which is surprising, isn't it? The biggest failure goes on to become the biggest leader. And you wonder, how is that even possible? Like, why would Jesus, first of all, how is it possible that Jesus forgave him for what he did, but then went even further to make him a leader, not to mention the number one leader in the entire movement? The reason is this, because Peter knew beyond any shadow of a doubt, that he had failed, he had sinned, but that he had been forgiven, that he had received grace, he received mercy. And that actually made Peter uniquely qualified to be a leader in Jesus' movement. Jesus himself had said that the one who is forgiven much loves much. And along with being forgiven, Jesus gave Peter a new start. That's why Peter says there in 1 Peter 1, verse 3, he says that according to God's mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. You know what it means to be born again? It means to receive a new life. And along with being born again, you know what happens? It means putting your past, your sins, your failures, your mistakes, putting those things to death and being born again with a new identity as a new person, free from guilt and free from shame. This is what the death of Jesus and his resurrection means for us. It says in Romans chapter 4, verse 24 and 25, it says this, that Jesus our Lord, he was delivered up for our trespasses and he was raised for our justification. Two things, right? Delivered up for our trespasses, died for our sins, and he was raised for our justification. Think about what that means. If someone commits a crime, for example, and they're put in jail, once they've completed their sentence, once they've fully satisfied their sentence so that the law has no more claim on them, then what do they do? What happens? They walk out. They walk out free. Well, listen, Jesus Christ came to pay the penalty for your sins. It was a huge penalty, but Jesus paid it. And the proof that he fully satisfied that payment, that he paid it in full, is that on the third day, he walked out free. That was God's way of stamping, paid in full across all of history so nobody could miss it. But you know what else it says there? It says that Jesus, not only was he offered up for our trespasses, but what? He was raised up for our justification. Do you know what justification is? Justification means just as if you'd never sinned. I have a friend named Tommy. Tommy lives in uh, Orange County, California, in the city of Santa Ana. He grew up, though, in Los Angeles. And when he was younger, he was involved with gangs and drugs, and he ended up going to jail. So Tommy spent a few years in jail, but he did his time, and he got let out, and he was released. 
you know, here was the thing is that even though Tommy did his time and spent his time in jail, paid his due to society, the crimes that he committed were still on his record. It was still on his record that he'd been to jail. So every time he fills out an application, right, for a job or a loan or anything else, there's always this section that asks, have you ever been convicted of a crime? Have you ever been to jail? And he'd have to say yes, because of course that was true. And so that being true, even though he'd paid his time, you know, it still, it limited his opportunities. It meant that he was disqualified and excluded from things. But Tommy eventually became a pastor. That's how I got to know him. And he got involved in serving his city. And he got to know the leaders in his local government. And one of the leaders in his city, she found out about his past. She found out that he was a criminal and that he'd been in jail. And so one day this woman called Tommy into her office and she said, listen, I know what you did. I know that you were in jail. I know about your past. And she handed him some papers that were on her desk. And these papers were an application for Tommy's record to be expunged. And along with that, she gave him a letter that she had written, a letter of recommendation to the judge asking for Tommy's record to be expunged. And the judge granted that request. And what that meant was that all of Tommy's convictions, they were removed from his record. The misdemeanors, the felonies, the time he spent in jail, it was all gone. It was as if it had never happened at all. And Tommy had to ask just so he was sure, you know, what to do. He said, wait a second. So if I'm filling something out and it asks, have you been convicted of a crime? Have you been to jail? What should I say? And she said, you should say no. You see, that's what it means to be justified. Not only did Jesus pay the penalty for your sins, but by taking the judgment in your place, right? He did more than that. He also cleaned your record, cleared your record. When God pulls up your file, you know what he sees? He doesn't see your past mistakes. He sees a perfect record. In Christ, you are a new person. Because Jesus resurrected from the grave, you can be born again to new life. No matter what you've done in the past, you can be forgiven. You can receive mercy and grace, and you can be justified. That's what Jesus' resurrection means for you. That's why the Bible says that if anyone is in Christ, there's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, new has come. So that's the first thing. If, what does Jesus' resurrection mean for you and me? First of all, it means that you can have redemption from your past. But even more than that, you know what else it means? It means that you can have hope for the future. I heard a story about some people who worked for an airline, and they were unloading some luggage from a passenger plane, which had arrived at the airport. And one of the items in the cargo hold there was an animal crate for a dog. And these workers, they kind of peeked inside the crate. They were looking in there only to discover that the dog had died. So, of course, right, they're fearing a lawsuit and a big thing could become of this. So they said, we should try and fix this problem. So here's what they did. They, they, to buy themselves some time, they told the lady, uh, your you know, crate ended up on the wrong plane. It's in a different city, but we're going to get it here as soon as we can. And when it gets here, we'll deliver it to your house. So they bought themselves some time. And in the meantime, they found another dog, same breed, you know, looks similar to the woman's dog that had died. And they put the new dog into a crate and they delivered it to the woman's house. And they told her, look, we found your dog. Here you go. And the woman looked in the crate and she saw this happy dog, you know, wagging his tail and smiling at her. And she said, that's not my dog. And the airline workers, they started getting nervous, right? Because they're like, well, 
what, what do you mean it's not your dog? Of course it's your dog. Well, how, how could it not be your dog? And she said, well, I'm pretty sure it's not my dog because my dog was dead and I was bringing him home to bury him. <laughs> See, this woman understood something about death. Death is a permanent condition. It's not the kind of thing that you recover from, right? Like the statistics on death are really brutal. I don't know if you've seen them, right? They're bad. There's like 10 out of 10 people die. That's somewhere around 100%, right? I mean, it's pretty depressing. But if you think about, if you think that's depressing, well, let me tell you, it's even more depressing than that. You ready? Because, listen, if this life is all there is, and when you die, that's it, game over, think about what that means. You know what it means? If this is it, and after this is done, it's all over, it means that your life has absolutely no purpose, no meaning, no value whatsoever. It doesn't matter. Think about this. It doesn't matter what you learn. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter if you have fun or not. It doesn't matter if you're happy or sad. It doesn't matter if you do good things or bad things. It doesn't matter if you make good memories because when you die, it will all be forgotten. You won't remember any of it. Now, maybe you say, okay, I won't remember any of it, but my children, the people who come, who live after me, they'll, they'll benefit from it. Okay, maybe a little bit, but then guess what? They're gonna die and they're gonna forget it too. And eventually the sun will burn out and life on this planet will cease to exist, and there will literally be no one left who will ever remember or have been impacted by anything that ever happened in the world, ever. And that's the best case scenario, okay? Because listen, what if your life here on earth isn't full of fun times and, and happy memories? What if your life here on earth is full of hardship, tragedy, and pain? then what are you even living for, right? Like a few moments of happiness, which are going to be completely erased when death eventually robs you of everything that you had? You know, Viktor Frankl, he was an Austrian man of Jewish descent. And during World War II, he was put in, in the Auschwitz um, concentration camp. And he survived. And after he survived, he got out and he wrote a book. This book is considered, it's called, uh, the, the U.S. Library of Congress has declared his book, Man's Search for Meaning, to be one of the top 10 most important books of the 20th century. And here's his big conclusion, right? His big conclusion of his book, Man's Search for Meaning, is this. Life only has meaning if we have a hope which even suffering and death cannot destroy. Let me tell you that again. He said, again, after suffering, after all these things they went through, search for meaning. He says, life only has meaning if we have a hope which even suffering and death cannot destroy. Now, let me ask you, a hope that even suffering and death cannot destroy? What kind of hope is that? Like, does that kind of hope even exist? Hope, what is hope? Hope is the expectation of coming good. Hope is the confidence that the future is bright, that there is good that is to come. Now, the lack of hope is what we call hopelessness. And hopelessness, doctors tell us, is the number one cause of despair. So is there such a thing as a hope that even death cannot destroy? A hope which goes beyond this life, a hope that goes beyond the grave. Well, look at what Peter writes about the significance of Jesus' resurrection. He says that because of Jesus' resurrection, we now have a living hope, which is what? He says this is our hope, the salvation of our souls. The reason Jesus' resurrection is good news 
is because it means that this life is not all there is. It means that when your time here on earth is over, that will not be the end of you. The Bible tells us that Jesus is the first fruits of those who will be resurrected from the grave. What that means is that in his death and resurrection, Jesus broke the power of death. And just as Jesus rose from the grave, God will also raise you up from the grave to new and everlasting life. You see, when Jesus was raised from the dead, he, did, he wasn't raised as a ghost or an apparition. He had a body. People could touch him. They, they could recognize him when they saw him. He ate food. And you know what that means? It means that when God resurrects you, you're going to have a body, a physical body. The Bible tells us that it will be a better body, free of sickness, free of disabilities. What that means is that those who have been redeemed by Jesus, we will live again. And we will get to hug and embrace and be reunited. We will laugh and we will feast. The new life, the better life, the eternal life that awaits us, it will be better and it will be without end. That is the hope of the resurrection. The early Christians, they understood this. And that's why when a Christian person died, the early Christians would say, that person isn't dead. They've just merely fallen asleep. Their condition is temporary. We don't say goodbye. We say, see you later, because we know that for those who put their faith in Jesus and are redeemed by him, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, and we will be reunited and live together with him forever. You see, Jesus' resurrection from the grave, it tells us that for those who have put their faith in Jesus, that there is hope for the future. There is hope beyond the grave. And this hope we have for the future, you know what it does? It changes the way we live here and now. And that brings us to the last part of our, our sentence, right? Jesus' resurrection, it means not only can you have redemption from your past, not only can you have hope for the future, but you know what? That redemption, that hope, it gives you purpose for today. When Peter wrote this letter that this passage is found in, the thing which prompted him to write was that Christians around the world were being persecuted because of their faith in Jesus. And so Peter wrote this letter to encourage these people not to give up, to continue in their faith, to strengthen them and encourage them. Look at what he says there in chapter 1 of 1 Peter, verse 4. He says that in Jesus, God has given us an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and it is kept in heaven for you. What Peter is saying is that there is nothing on earth that can change or take away this hope that you have if your hope is in Jesus, this hope of eternal life. No matter how much suffering you endure, no matter how much persecution you face, listen, this hope cannot be taken away from you. And it is what motivates us to keep going and not give up. More than just surviving, Peter wanted these early Christians to remember that their lives had a purpose, that they had meaning. Even if they were suffering currently, your, your life has a meaning purpose and a purpose, Peter said. God has given you a calling and a mission to carry his love into this world, to bring his love and truth to others so they can have this hope as well. Do you remember what the angel said to the women at the tomb that first Easter Sunday? He said two things. He said, first of all, he said, don't be afraid. And secondly, he said, go, go. And listen, when you really understand the meaning of Easter, 
When you really understand what Jesus' resurrection means for you and the difference that it makes, you know what it does? It changes something inside of you that causes you to, first of all, no longer fear. And secondly, it causes you to go. No longer fear and then to go. It causes you, first of all, to not be afraid, not be afraid of sickness, suffering, failure, even death. Why? Because this life is not all there is and a better life awaits you. And this hope of the resurrection, it also enables you not only to not be afraid, but also to go. Step out in faith to do the things that God has called you to do, the things that you can only do in this life, to love radically, to give generously, to not hold back at all because your future is bright. You have nothing to worry about. Your hope is secure. Now you're free. You're free from the world and you're free for the sake of the world. You're free to fulfill God's purpose for your life and carry out his mission in the world. But here's the thing. In order for you to have this hope, all these wonderful things that we've been talking about, in order for these things to be true for you, in order for you to benefit from what Jesus did, you have to believe in him. Now, what does that mean? What does it mean to believe in Jesus? Does it mean simply to believe that he was a real person who lived 2,000 years ago? Does it mean to simply believe that the things the Bible says about him are true? Well, certainly it does mean that. But when the Bible uses the word believe, like believe in Jesus, when it says that you have to believe in Jesus in order to be forgiven, in order to be redeemed, in order to have eternal life, that word believe in that sense, it means more than just believing intellectually. It means to trust in him. It means to cling to him. It means to rely on him. It's kind of like this. Imagine if you were standing on a steep mountainside and then you began to slip. The ground underneath you began to give, give way and you began to slip and slide down that mountain. And the only thing that could keep you from sliding down that mountain to your death was a branch that's sticking out of the side of the hill right next to you as you begin to slip. Now, Listen, I'll just tell you right now, this branch, it is strong enough to hold your weight. But listen, just knowing that the branch is strong enough to hold your weight, just knowing that isn't going to save you. In order for the branch to save you, you have to reach out and take hold of it. But let's say you're looking at the branch and you're unsure that it actually has the ability to, to hold your weight, right? In other words, you've got some doubts about this branch. You don't have a whole lot of faith in the branch to be able to save you. But listen, if you reach out and grab hold of it anyway, as a result, you will be saved. You see, it isn't the strength of your faith that saves you. It's the object of your faith that saves you. If you have a lot of faith in a weak branch, that won't do anything for you. But if the branch is strong, even though your faith is weak and you grab onto it, the branch will save you. In the same way, you can take hold of Jesus. You can put your trust in him today. Even if your faith is weak, even if your faith is riddled with doubt, you can reach out and take hold of him today and you will be saved because he is mighty to save. He is trustworthy and you can entrust all of your life to him. And you know what will happen? As you walk with him, as you grow and learn, your faith will become stronger. But you can take hold of him right now and be saved. And if you do, 
then Jesus' resurrection means that you can have redemption from your past. You can have hope for the future, and you can have purpose for today. Would you please bow your heads with me, and let's pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you because you are the risen Lord, the risen King. You showed through your resurrection that all of your claims about yourself were true. And so, Lord, we praise you that you have overcome death, that you have conquered sin and death. You have broken their hold on us and on the world. And so, Lord Jesus, thank you also that you have given us through your resurrection. You've given us redemption from our past. We can be born again to new life. We can be justified before you because of what you've done for us, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that you've given us hope for the future and that that hope gives purpose to our lives. Lord, I pray today as we go that this hope that we have for the future, Lord, would it cause us, I ask, cause us to really live without fear and that it would cause us to go into the world and boldly do the things that you've called us to do, knowing that we've got nothing to lose because eternal life awaits us because of what you've done for us. Lord, I pray for anyone here today who hasn't yet taken hold of you by faith, or maybe they've been not sure if they can or if they should. Lord, I pray that today would be the day that they reach out and take hold of you. They put their trust in you because you are mighty to save. And we pray that people would do that today. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. Make sure to tap the subscribe button if you would like to have new messages delivered to your device every week when they are released. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support our ministry, you can do so by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or by giving a donation to our church on our website at whitefieldschurch.com.